If you've got your Bibles, open up to the book of Revelation. We're going to be jumping back in. And as you're turning there, I want to speak a personal word for just a moment. Uh, you know, kind of the elephant in the room right now is that there are rises going up with uh, coronavirus and COVID. So we've got people that we need to be praying for. I want to draw attention that on the uh, we, we have set aside on the back here two rows uh, that are mask only for vulnerable people. And I would ask that if you are not masked up, if you are not vulnerable, you would reserve that for the folks who are so that there is a place. I also want to encourage you that if there are people here who uh, know of people who are sick, would you please let me know? Don't, you don't have to broadcast it, but I'd love to know so that we can walk in their lives so that we can be the body to come around them. I also want to encourage us that if you, listen, if you're feeling sick, you're feeling ill, you've run, or you've been running a fever, uh, listen, you know how you can serve the body this week? Stay home. You can watch online. Uh, thank you for being online. Those of you who are watching in, uh, that, we want to be good neighbors. We want to be good in the for our body. We want to stay open, just to be real honest with you. And so I'm asking you, listen, you can watch online. You missing one week because you are ill. We'll be all right. We'll make sure that you get it. We're going to be walking alongside you and ministering to you. So if you would, you serve the body in that way. Uh, there is a little card out at the uh, connection area, the connect booth, that has a little link so that you can be able to know how to tune in and be a part of worship while you're away. And so uh, I would encourage you in that way, and you would be serving the body well. In your Bibles, Revelation chapter 14, we're jumping back into the reigning king, uh, the reigning king Jesus. And, uh, you know, summer's coming to an end. Some of you are sad about that because you are summer people. Uh, I love summer, but coming from Texas, where we had two seasons, hot and hotter, uh, I enjoy the change of the seasons around here. So I'm looking forward, to be real honest with you, to cooler weather, sweaters, fire pits, football. Uh, I'm looking forward to the, a change. And one of the reasons that I really enjoy this time of the year is because it's also a time of re-engagement. Some of you are now re-engaging with the body. You've been away, you've been on vacation, you've been here and there. And so you're back in with us. Welcome. We're jumping back in and re-engaging the book of Revelation and the series that we began uh, a while back called The Reigning King. And so today, to get us started, I want to do a quick, and I do mean quick. So if you're taking a few notes, you're going to have to write fast. Better yet, why don't you do this? Why don't you watch this today, this afternoon? You can follow back in. You can go back and watch the media on the app and online to catch up. But I do want to get you set a little bit about what Revelation is and where we've been and where we're headed. Revelation can be kind of scary at times. It can be intimidating at times because there's all kinds of, there's glassy seas, there's like uh, dragons, there's beasts, there's all these different things that are meant to be symbolic because what Revelation is, it's called apocalyptic literature. It's an apocalyptic book meaning there is a lot of symbolism. And so you have to be careful because if you try to interpret everything in that book, literally, you end up in a ditch, to be real honest with you. Now, reading it symbolically, as we are going to be reading it and have been reading it, 
does not, I need to make sure, someone asked me one uh, not long ago. So the way that we we're reading Revelation with all of the symbols and how that works, does that take down its truthfulness? No, I need you to hear this. And I want to be really, really clear. I don't want anybody to miss this. This is the word of God. It is truthful. Every word of it from the beginning of the Bible, from the table of contents all the way to the maps. I believe it all, okay? I need you to hear that. It is the inerrant, infallible word of God. And so it is truthful. But you also have to take, in good Bible study methods, you have to take the book for how it is written and allow it to speak. We know that the Psalms is songs. And so there's a lot of symbolism there. You know, we do believe that the Lord spreads his wings over his people, but the Lord's not a bird, all right? I need you to know that. So that when we're reading apocalyptic literature, i.e. Daniel, Ezekiel, parts of the prophetic book Isaiah also, you have to look at the symbolism and go, okay, God, what are you saying? How does this work? And if you'll remember, when we were reading in the spring, as we've been walking through, uh, there are over 600 references in the book of Revelation in uh, over 600 references uh, to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. So if you're reading Revelation and you see something that's new or something that's different or something that you're going, uh, how does that work? Well, you want to go back to the Old Testament. Where is that in the Old Testament? What does that look like? How does that work? And so that's where we are. That's what we're looking at. As we study the new, as we study Revelation, we're coming at this from a symbolic standpoint. Now, many people will go, well, listen, we, we, if you're like me, let me say that, you grew up reading everything literal in here. It was all literal. Uh, I, I've since, as I've been studying, I'm beginning to understand that I think there's more to this that has symbols than it does uh, just literal. And when I say that, I want to make sure that you hear me. Chapter two and three is all talking about churches, those are literal. Those are literal places where uh, the, the apostle John was writing. John wrote this book, and he was literal. But when he told uh, the church at Laodicea that, that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks, you need to know that your door, your heart does not have a door. That is symbolic language. And so as you're reading through this, you have to begin to go, okay, we're looking at this from a symbolic standpoint. We're also looking at this from the standpoint that Revelation is not written just for the end times, like the seven years previous. I grew up learning Revelation that, that Revelation uh, was, it was taught to me that Revelation was primarily the last seven years of the world. Uh, people who read it from that standpoint take chapter four forward, and it's all in the future. And Typically, it's the last seven years, you know, the tribulation, the, uh, the, the rapture, all of those kinds of things. Some of you, I see you shaking your head. You know, you, you have heard that kind of language. We're reading this from a symbolic standpoint, believing this, that the church age happened when Jesus ascended back to heaven. So when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he inaugurated what is called the church age. We are living in the last days today. We have been living in the last days since Jesus went back to heaven, since he ascended back to heaven. The apostle John who wrote this book, uh, wrote Revelation, was not Nostradamus, okay? 
He wasn't Da Vinci. There's no code in this book. It's not a cipher that you're like, Amer- like American treasure. It's not a cipher. It's not coded. It's, it's more of a picture book where we're able to see pictures, visions, scenes of what's going on. John, God allows John to be able to kind of pull the curtain back and say, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. This is what it looks like. The battle between the great dragon, Satan, and God, we're able to see that illustrated through visions. And all of these visions begin to, con- they, they have a pattern to them. And they help us to be able to see the same story over and over and over. It's called recapitulation. Recapitulation means this. It means telling the same story, the main points, over and over. Let me give you a couple of examples. In uh, chapter 2 and 3, you have the seven churches. Do you remember we then began to see the seven bowl judgments? Or excuse me, the seven seal judgments. We saw the seven trumpet judgments. We're about to head to the seven bowl judgments. In chapter 12, 13, 14, you're seeing seven different pictures and visions. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm not, I, I, I go to a lot of museums because I live in a family that is very creative and they love art museums. I don't, I don't know a whole lot about art other than to be able to look at them and go, oh, that's a cool picture. That's neat. I enjoy that. Uh, if you've been to the Frist, you get to the second level of the Frist Museum. You know, there's all these different rooms. Those are called galleries for you men who are like me. Those are galleries. And you go into those galleries and you may see all of these beautiful paintings, if you can imagine walking in and you begin to see each painting, and each painting begins to tell the same story. It's a different painting. It's a different vision. It's a different picture. But what is it that they're telling? What is it that Revelation continues to tell us? It tells us this, that there is God. There is a great battle that's happening. This battle between the dragon, Satan, that his son, this Jesus, the Messiah, overcame that great dragon, the evil one, who laid his life down, who it wasn't taken from him. He laid it down on a cross, that he was put into a grave, that he rose again, he ascended to heaven, and that all of heaven today worships him. The scripture tells us that there is a battle going on for his church, for you and me, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that the, the great beast and the prophet, they want to drag us away. Yet what we know is this, and the story continues to repeat itself through each of these visions, is that the, Jesus defeats the dragon. He is alive. He is the one who reigns today. I need you to hear this. He's not the reigning king at the end. He's the reigning king today. He is alive and well on his throne. You see, it's not reserved for the end. It's today. Today, he's alive. So as we jump back in, all right, I want us to jump back in. Revelation chapter 14. Some of you go, now, wait a minute. Well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Go to the app, go to the media uh, uh, player, and you can begin to see where we've covered. I want you to be able to do that. Revelation chapter 14, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5, 1 through 5 today. Uh, We're taking a short chunk on it because we wanted to do a little bit of the uh, review. And today, we are back in the reigning king, and we're going to be talking about the hope of heaven, 
the hope of heaven. And each week I try and give you a little roadmap. So today I'm gonna give you some, some, uh, a couple of principles, a couple of thoughts that we're gonna be hitting today coming from Revelation 14, one through five. And, and each of those are this. The first one is this, God's people have the hope of heaven. God's people have the hope of heaven. The second point that I want us to be looking at is this, is that God's people are happy in God. God's people are happy in God. And the last principle, the last thing I want us to be able to look at is this, is that God's people are holy on earth. So let's jump in here. Revelation chapter 14, verses one through three to begin with. The scripture tells us this. Then I, I is John, then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. Verse 3. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So point one, God's people have the hope of heaven. Chapter 14 opens up talking about the 144,000, all right? Now, we were introduced to them in chapter 7. You want to go back. You can look at chapters on the media player. You can find that message, and you can begin to hear a little bit more. But I want to kind of let you in on a few things here. In that chapter, we learn that these are, the, these are all of God's people from Genesis 3 who have followed him since Genesis 3 to the end of the age before we go back to heaven. These are all of God's people. And we know that those people are sealed because the New Testament tells us that those of us who are in Christ, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We didn't know what the sealing looked like. We didn't know what that seal on the forehead is. Chapter 14 tells us that it has the name of the lamb and his father across the head. Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now, do you see that anywhere on me? I want to make sure you have. No, that's not on my forehead, all right? This here, I believe, is a symbol. It is a symbol. So when you hear about the mark of the beast or the sealing, these are symbols. They are some, it's, it's symbolic language to let us know. In the first century, if you were a military leader, if you uh, were someone who had slaves, you tattooed them so that they, it was known whose they were. This is a sim, symbolic, but I want you to hear this very literally today, your life demonstrates very literally today who you follow. How you live tells the world, do I follow the beast? Do I follow the deceiver? Do I follow the great Satan? Or do I follow Jesus Christ, the living son of God? You can't get any literal than that. That is what your life, we're told, that is what our life should live like and look like as followers of the way that we've just talked about in our previous series. So what is this 144,000? I don't think this 144,000 is a literal 144,000 people. It's a symbolic number. You'll remember from chapter 7, it's, it's representative of the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament, those who followed and were God-fearers, those who 
by faith followed God, is also representative of the 12 apostles, the 12 apostles of the New Testament. And going forward, all of us who have followed that gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, multiplied by the number 1,000. Now, the number 1,000 in uh, Jewish life was a number that they considered so great. It was an exaggerative number that meant it was, it's like infinity. For us today, I, I used to would have compared it to trillions and trillions and trillions, but in our government, we understand trillions and trillions and trillions today. It's a number that might be heptillion, heptillions and heptillions. I don't even know, is that a number? It's, it just means it's huge. It's overwhelming. The 144,000 here, it, it, it's the complete total number. So John says this. He says, I see in the hope of heaven. I see all of God's people with the lamb. All of these people, they have, the, they have across their forehead, they've been sealed. They have the name of the lamb and the father, his father there, tattooed across their head. Now, again, I want to make sure that you hear me say this. That's a literal, it's an expression that he is using there. It, it mentions Mount Zion. Now, the word, the, the name Mount Zion or Zion, not like Zion McKinney, but the name Zion and Mount Zion is used over 150 times in the Old Testament to represent heaven. It represents heaven. And so what is being said right here is that John saw another picture, another vision, and he saw the, all of God's people in heaven with Jesus. And I need you to hear me. That is not a prophecy to be fulfilled. That is a prophecy that is being fulfilled today, right now. For those of us in here who have had loved ones who have died in Christ, they have surrendered their lives to Jesus. They trusted him with their soul. They've gone on and they've passed. The scripture tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This is a picture of where your loved one is if they've known Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is why today I implore you, I plead with you, I call you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because the scripture says that it, when we die, if we die in Christ, we're with the Father immediately. We are there. This is a picture of that. The scripture also tells us in Hebrews that it is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. And if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you die in your sin, in your unbelief, the scripture says that you will be Matthew chapter seven, which we will talk more about in uh, next summer. He's gonna say, depart from me because I never knew you. I never knew you. Listen, in the midst of where we are today, in the midst of what John was facing, Remember, this was written, Revelation was written to give hope to the believers of that day. Because in the midst of where they were, if they didn't follow and bow down to the emperor Caesar, if they didn't bow down to emperor worship and submit to that, they didn't get their certification papers that they could work. So if you were a blacksmith and you didn't follow and, and submit to emperor worship, no papers. That meant you didn't work. It, it meant that if you didn't go to the, uh, the, the, the idols, the temples of the idols, and you refused to do that, you could be exiled. You could be killed. Uh, at least there's no food. There's no work. Yet in here, John says, 
I saw this, that all of God's people were on Mount Zion. All of God's people were there. You have hope that in the midst of what you're facing today, folks, I want, to hear, I want you to hear this. Some of you are in here, and Zion mentioned this a little while ago. You've, you're in here, you feel like your marriage is about to fray. Your kids, they've already frayed out. You don't even know, I don't even know what to say to them anymore. Some of you, your jobs are on the edge. You don't know where your finances are gonna be. You've got people right now who are facing cancer, coronavirus, they're facing all kinds of things. And John points us to the hope of heaven to say, you have hope. Listen, Jesus is alive today. He is the reigning king. Now, I wanna make sure that you hear me. I want us to have good doctors. I want us to have great financial counselors. I want us to have good business coaches. I want us to have all of these things. But I need you to hear me. Our hope is not in all of them. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And if you're placing your hope in anything else but the hope of heaven, the one who is alive, the one who is reigning today, I want you to know your feet are on shifting sand. It's not a firm foundation. Jesus is alive today. Notice that it says here, he talks about the 144,000. He doesn't call it the 120,000. It's not the 143,999. It's the 144,000, the total amount of believers. Jesus has said, I've lost none that you have given me. In John chapter 6, John chapter 17, John chapter 18, Jesus said, all that the Father has given me, I've lost none of them, and I need you to hear me. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to hear me. Hear me. Hear me. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, truly, do you realize there's no safer place than to be in his hand? Because Jesus said, the ones that I have are in my hand, and I am in my Father's hand. That's safe. So no matter what you're facing today, there's hope. No matter what you're facing, there's hope. Because the king of heaven is alive today. And I don't say that as by and by language. Folks, I need you to hear, in the past couple of years, I've walked through things where my only hope was Jesus. That's it. And I need you to hear, he is faithful. He's faithful. So, as we look at this, what we see is that God's people, God's people have the hope of heaven because the king is reigning today. The second thing that I want you to see is that God's people are happy in God. Notice in verse 2, notice in verse 2, it says that John heard what sounded like the roar of many waters. I've never got to see Niagara Falls. Any Niagara Falls people in here? Anybody got to sound? Uh, my understanding is, is that if you're standing there, even though you're standing away from it, it's, I mean, it's like powerful. It's so loud. It's just powerful. That's what John sees. I have, I've, I have heard noises that were like clapping thunder, like it sounded like it was in my bedroom. It just hit. It also says that they heard sounds of singing, like it sounded like a harpist. It was beautiful. Now, catch that. The people in heaven, this 144 that were singing, the voices that they heard, they weren't roaring thunder. They weren't, they weren't like waters. It wasn't true harps. He's giving descriptions of what it was like. And did you see what, it what he tells us there? He tells us that it was really loud. 
it was really loud. He was describing how loud it was. Now, I want to address a couple of things here. I am so thankful for all of these instruments up here. Instruments that we have are given to us to encourage and support our singing. I'm so thankful for them. And I'm thankful for the people who know how to play them because they play them and they worship while they're doing it. I want to dispel any myth that some of you may have that anyone's up here for show. They're not here for show. These folks are up here and they are worshiping because I know their hearts. I get to see it. I get to watch them beforehand as they're praying and asking. But I need you to hear, this passage here, doesn't, it doesn't even mention instruments. It mentions voices. This says that it was so loud because there were so many people, they were all singing, all the people, all of the redeemed, they were singing so loud. I don't know if you've ever been to a, um, I've had the opportunity to go to a couple of Christian conferences where all you could hear were the voices. Now, we're not going Church of Christ. We're going to keep the instruments. Just want to let you know that. But when you hear the overwhelming sound of the voices, it's so powerful. And folks, I don't want you to get, I don't want, to, I don't want you to be mistaken here. Heaven is going to be full. It's going to be overrun. There's going to be people there. It's a great amount of people. And it's going to be voices singing. This is a picture for us. This is a, this is a call to you and me. Our voices, we should be singing. Did you notice who they say in here gets to do the singing? It's the, those who have been redeemed by the Lamb. And it is a new song. Some of us in here, we may get a little upset when you get a new song. Don't know this. Get ready. You're getting a new song when you get to heaven. And you're not even going to know it until you get there, and it's just going to burst, burst forth. We're going to be singing. Our voices are going to be lifted. We're going to be crying out to the Lord, how great you are. Did you notice who was doing that? Only the redeemed. In chapter 4, 5, 6, we begin to see in the throne room, what you see is that you have the elders, you have the 24 elders, you have the, the, the beast, you have the angels. They're all praising what's happening right here. They're looking at the 144,000, all the believers, and they're going, Whoa, because they don't get to sing it. That's not a song for them. They have their song. We get a new song. Folks, this is a practice. I want you to hear every week is a practice. Are we ready to sing, to lift our voices? Now, I recognize, and I want to be real careful here. I want to recognize that some of you come in here each week maybe even today, and you're broken. My spouse, I, I, they freaked out on me yesterday. They left. My kids, I, I, I don't know what's happened. It, maybe there's been a death and you're heavy. Maybe there's been cancer. Maybe there's been, I mentioned a minute ago, corona. And you just feel heavy. You know what? It, 
we don't all have to be Zion and Zakira and Zeke up here on worship. That's, but there is a point where we come and we offer a sacrifice. It may not be as exuberant each week, but we just, God, I cry to you. I want you to know if you need to sit and just weep sometime, that's, this is the opportunity we get to sing over you. Listen, I do know, though, that there's no one in this passage who's standing back with their arms just crossed. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Yeah. No disdain. No. No. These folks are crying out. They're singing for all that it is worth, lifting their voices up. This is a call to us to sing because there's no one else that's going to sing these songs. Let me ask you this. Do you have a reason to sing? I would say yes if you've surrendered your life to Jesus. We have a reason to sing out to him. So, number one, God's people have the hope of heaven. Number two, God's people are happy in God because there is no more brokenness. There are, there are no more damaged lives. Everyone is whole. Everyone is made new. All things have been redeemed. And the last thing is this, is that God's people are holy on earth. Look at Revelation chapter 14, verses 4 and 5. It is these, who are these? Those who have been redeemed, those who have the new song. So it is these that have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. It is these that have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the lamb. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. Now, what's going on here? I mean, are you telling me that the 144,000, the only ones that are going to be there, they're going to be all virgin men? No, they're not all virgin men, all right? This is, remember, this is symbolic language. It's symbolic language that we're seeing here. Revelation chapter 2, as he's talking to the churches, he, uh, John, Jesus, he is connecting sexual perversion, sexual perversion with idolatry. And so what you have here is you have a picture, you have a, uh, a symbol of all of those who have not kept themselves pure, who have defiled themselves with the world system, who've defiled themselves with the cultural ethic. They've not stood pure and clean in the word of God, in the hope of heaven, in the king of heaven, the way that he has called us in his word. The scripture tells us in, in Revelation, and you're going to see this in the coming days, that Babylon, that symbol of evil, that symbol of evil empire, that symbol of the culture that is against the kingdom of God, the scripture calls them a whore. That's not a language we use often in the church, is it? If you've got small kids, you may want to explain that later. I'm sorry about that. But I am using what the scripture has to say here. And those are symbolically, those, that means those who have 
walked away, those who have been led away, those who do not follow the truth of the Scripture. This is what he's talking about here. When he talks about that we, as followers of Christ, we are the bride who are presented to the bridegroom as spotless, as virgins. We've kept ourselves clean. We've kept ourselves away from the teaching of Babylon, the teaching of the world ethic, the cultural norms of the day that don't line up with Scripture. Folks, I need you to hear me. Scripture's truth. It is truth. And no matter what we face, remember, John's writing to people here who were dying for their faith, people who were being exiled, people who had no food. And you need to hear, I want to listen to me, please. There's no one out at the doors, out in the parking lots that are waiting to arrest you and behead you because you follow the way of God. No one's doing that. That's what they were facing. And John says, look, the hope of heaven We can stand strong in what it is that we face. I don't care what you're facing today. Jesus, the reigning king today, our hope of heaven gives us strength to stand in truth, to walk and live a holy life according to his word. According to his word, we can do that. Notice in verse four, verse four tells us this. Verse 4 says, notice that that they follow the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? Jesus. They follow Him wherever He goes. You know what this is? This is a picture of discipleship. And I need you to hear that today, Jesus has called you to be His disciple. If you are a follower of Christ, you surrendered your life to Him, and you think, I'm I'm a Christian. Yes, you are. You're a little Christ. (laughs) But you need to hear, being a little Christ means I do what he does. I follow him. I follow the way of Jesus, and I do what he does. Not only do do we want you to live like a disciple, I'm asking you, would you bring one or two people along with you, and you help them know what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be a disciple? Would you walk alongside them to encourage them? We're not... uh, Verse 5 talks about they were blameless. You need to hear me. Blameless in the Scripture does not mean they're perfect. It does not mean that you don't sin. Being blameless means you follow the way of Jesus, like we talked about in the last series. You're following the way, and when you realize, I have sinned against you, God, do you know what true believers do? They repent. They come back to Jesus. Jesus, I I ask you to forgive me. Uh, I thank you that you forgave me on the cross, I'm asking right now, and I'm telling, I'm confessing to you that I've sinned against you, and I return to you. The Scripture tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us if we will yet confess. That's what he does for us. Romans 8 tells us that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That should be hopeful for you and me. That means that we can say, as Paul said, hey, you follow me as I follow Christ. I may not be doing it exactly perfectly, but I'm walking towards Jesus, and I want you to walk, with Jesus, walk to Jesus with me. This is what I'm calling to you to. This is what the Scripture's calling us to. I, people who will live for Jesus and say, come on, come with me. Come with me. 
women pouring into women, men pouring into men, men and women who are pouring into our children, who are encouraging them that we can live today a life that Jesus has called us to live. Verse 5 says that uh, there was no lie in their mouth. Now, granted, uh, we, uh, hopefully we realize that as followers of Jesus, we should be truthful people. What we say, we ought to mean. We, we shouldn't be people who are half-hearted on the truth. We ought to be truthful. Now, we need to do it in love, all right? <laughs> we need to be truthful in love. Not only should we be truthful in how we speak, we need to be truthful in how we live. We need to be consistent and truthful that what we say, we do. We live that way. We follow the way of Jesus. Listen, we come to church, to the gathering, then when we walk away, that we follow the way of Jesus. This is what disciples do. We live lives that are consistent. We live lives that are truthful. We speak the truth. This is why, this is why, listen, this is why we stand for life. We stand for life. From conception to death, we stand for life. And we have to be able to say, listen, the reason we can't support the ethic of killing children is because the scripture teaches God knit us together in our mother's womb. He's the one that did that. That's why we stand on truth to say, listen, we were created in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, he created us. How did he create us? Male and female, he created us. And we stand on that truth. We stand there. With the sexual ethic of today, we stand on truth. Now, I need you to hear me. Oh, I've said that a lot today, haven't I? I'm going to continue to say it. Not everybody believes that truth, but that doesn't mean that we don't stand on it. That doesn't mean that you have to be a punk in standing on it. You stand on the truth in love, and you bring the Scripture. You bring God's Word to the marketplace. And I promise you this, he'll handle the rest. He calls us to stand and be truthful in love, to walk holy. Listen, why is it that God gave John that vision and why did John give it to the churches? Because he knew that that's the only way we're going to have hope is to focus on the hope of heaven, who is the king who reigns today. So that we... Listen, in the midst of what we're facing, we can be happy in God. You know why? Because the king of heaven is alive today, and there is hope in him. Listen, we can be holy. God's people can be holy today. In the midst of where you're facing, what you're walking in, the, the college campus you're about to go to, the elementary school you're about to walk into as a teacher, you can be holy. Why? Because the king of heaven is reigning today. He is alive and well. And as a follower of Jesus, do you realize that you follow Jesus, the lamb who was slain, the son of God? You can live a holy life today. You know what, Scripture, this whole passage here, 
This whole passage here helps us to see that we've been sealed as a sealed people, that we are a singing people, and it calls us to be a sold-out people today. Won't you surrender your life to Christ? Won't you turn back to him? If you've never done that, I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to help you take those next steps. Father, I love you, and I thank you for the privilege you give us of being followers of yours. And God, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for what you've shown me this week and how you've challenged me, Father, in your word. I thank you that you forgive me of falling short. I thank you that the Holy Spirit convicts me. I thank you that when the Holy Spirit convicts me, it helps me to remember that I am your child. God, I'm asking that today, if there's someone in here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, would you, would you awaken them? Would you open their eyes? Would you save them? Would you help them to respond in faith this morning, Father? God, we love you. And Jesus, we've sought to magnify you today. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things.